and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series, a special edition this week. My name is Scott Miller, and I serve as your weekly host and interviewer. I say a special edition because I've made the decision to invite back a previous guest, which is rare, Dr. Daniel Amen, the famed neuroscientist, brain imaging expert, psychiatrist, and author of over 42 books, because I think Daniel's expertise, his access, his insight around mental health and how we stay healthy in a variety of ways will be so helpful to our viewing and listening audience. Dr. Daniel Amen, welcome back to On Leadership. Hi, Scott. Such a joy to be with you. Daniel, I appreciate you joining us. You are enormously in demand in terms of interviews and podcasts. You spent, I think, most of Dr. Phil's segment last week talking about a very similar topic. Today, you have a new book just released called The End of Mental Illness, How Neuroscience is Transforming Psychiatry and Helping Prevent or Reverse Mood and Anxiety Disorders, ADHD, Addictions, PTSD, Psychosis, Personality Disorders, and more. Today, we're going to spend the second half of our discussion with you talking about mental illness and the research and results of your work published in your new book. What I'd like to do is pivot first and spend some time talking about mental health, mental well-being, and mental illness in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Out of the gate, I'd like you just to take a few moments and give people your best advice on what you would advise us all to do, both in terms of our physical health and our mental health, given that you are a renowned psychiatrist, an MD, you're a medical doctor, and the access you have to the highest levels of information, just sort of take that where you'd like to go and give our listeners and viewers some instruction on physical and mental health during the pandemic. So when the pandemic first hit and I saw the level of anxiety and panic and grief and loss, uh, you know, tens of millions of people have lost their jobs, their security. Um, I wrote that mental hygiene is just as important as washing your hands, that we literally have to disinfect our thoughts so we don't let the ants, the automatic negative thoughts, come in our mind, infest us, and then steal not only our happiness, but actually our ability to manage during this very challenging time. And for a long time, I've been teaching my patients to kill the ants. I have an ant puppet. I'm also a child psychiatrist, so I use this with kids and adults, but ants, most people don't know that you can actually manage your mind, but like eating right, you don't do it once, you have to do it on an ongoing basis, like exercising to stay healthy, you need to engage in mental exercises that keep you sane during this very challenging time. And one of the exercises, I give to all of my patients is whenever you feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, write down what you're thinking and ask yourself if it is in fact true. If you absolutely know that it's true and doing that allows you to get control of your mind 
and then you can manage during this very difficult time. Daniel, what would you say about um, paranoia? I mean, I'm not a very paranoid person. I probably lean more towards that than away from that, so perhaps I am. But you can't help but watch the news. You can't help but be a, a citizen and be invested in what's happening in Italy and in England and across the U.S. and start to feel some anxious thoughts and paranoia. As a psychiatrist, what would you tell us to do to lower our anxiety and to check that paranoia beyond just perhaps writing down, is it true or not? Because, I mean, I don't know if it's true I'm going to get it. I don't know if it's on the grocery bags. I don't know if I'm going to lose my job. I don't know if I'm going to die. I I don't know if these things are fact or myth. (coughs) Well, it is true you're going to die. And (laughs) all of us are going to die. It's basically the denial of death that ruins people's lives. It causes us to live not in the moment. And when we're faced with the death dragon, uh, then it causes many people to their anxiety just gets out of control because they basically denied that we're in a temporary state. And it's what are you going to do with the gift you have today? rather than to be in the future with fear. But I want to start and back up just a little bit and say some anxiety is good for you. Um, Actually, in the largest, longest longevity study ever done, started in 1910, a Stanford psychologist evaluated 1,548 10-year-old children And then he and subsequently other researchers followed them for 90 years. So basically until they died out or a couple of them reached 100. And he was looking at what went with success, health and longevity. And what he found was actually pretty shocking um, that it wasn't happiness that went with longevity. It wasn't a lack of worry that went with longevity. In fact, what he found was the don't worry, be happy people died the earliest from accidents and preventable illnesses. And so during the pandemic, we would think those would be the people on the Miami beaches during spring break going, well, if I get it, it's just no big deal. Those are the people that die early. So I want you to have some anxiety. So let's not use the word paranoia because that's sort of a clinical term where you think the Russians are out to get you even though um, you have no evidence for it. Um, But let's use anxiety and I want everyone to have a healthy dose of anxiety because what that means is you're going to wash your hands. You're going to socially distance, you're going to be thoughtful that this little virus could get you. And, uh, but at the same time, um, I like a Bible verse. Uh, it's one of my favorite ones. It's John eight thirty two. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. That 50% of people who get the virus will not have symptoms. It actually won't bother you at all. 
40% will have symptoms. They'll feel like they have the flu and it's not going to be any fun. My assistant uh, at Amon Clinics got the virus when she was on vacation in Australia. She actually thinks from Tom Hanks and it was no fun, but after 11 days, she was fine. And then she actually has the immunity for the virus. 10% um, of people are gonna end up in the hospital, but of those, only 2.5% of them are gonna end up on a ventilator. And of those, half of them, it uh, may kill them. So even if we get it, my mom and dad had it, um, and they're 88 and 90 with health conditions. My mom with pneumonia, my dad with heart disease, and they both survived, at least today. They're out of the hospital and they're doing okay. So it's important for us to tell ourselves the truth. Yes, what's happened is terrible, um, but most of us are gonna be okay and the economy is gonna come back wherever country you're in. Are you gonna take care of your brain so you'll be able to take care of the opportunities you have going forward? Daniel, as a psychiatrist, and these terms may not be clinically accurate, but we all have rational and irrational thoughts. We all are living with people who are experiencing rational, irrational thoughts. Any advice you would give to our listeners and viewers on how to differentiate what's rational and not rational, and perhaps as importantly, if there's someone that's living with you, a parent, a spouse, a child, anyone else, that may not be diagnosed with a mental illness or a disorder of some sort, how do you help deal with that and help them differentiate between what's reasonable and unreasonable? Because we all are addicted, we're overdosed on the news right now, but by the minute, right? Friends are texting me that this country's now shutting down or this person's, and it's kind of almost like an addiction is listening to all this news and differentiating what's true and what's not true. Yeah, you have to be very careful with the news. And I'm, I'm a bit horrified with all of the news channels because you can watch CNN or Fox and it's always breaking news and it's always how many cases, how many deaths. And they do that purposefully. And it doesn't take a pandemic to have the same thing. They're going after what is going to grab the amygdala in your brain. So the amygdala is this almond-shaped structure that responds to fear. And your brain pays attention to fear first. And so because the news channels want your money, they want your eyes and their advertising dollars so they can charge based on how many people click, um, they lead with negativity, but it's not really representative of what's happening in the whole society. It's representative of how they can steal your attention. Every Thursday night, I've been on the radio in London and uh, taking calls and answering questions. And there's a lot of fear uh, in the United Kingdom. But one of the callers, I loved what he said. He said, there is now a global amygdala hijacking. Hmm. where people are just so afraid 
that ultimately that makes everything worse. So you need to put yourself on a news diet. And, you know, what I do is about 20 minutes, two or three times a day, I catch up on what's going on in the world and not just what's awful, but also what are the amazing stories that are happening um, as, as we go through this. Daniel, so speak to the, speak to the mother or the, the son at home, the son or daughter, and they have an elderly parent that otherwise is a rational person, an older parent perhaps, or whatever situation is, what advice would you give that person who has an irrational person in their home right now they're having thoughts, they're having, you know, non-normal uh, uh, processing of that. Any advice you'd give the rational person on how to help the irrational person? Yes, model the message. And, you know, um, you and I talked when I did the Daniel Plan, this big project at Saddleback Church, where we literally had thousands of churches around the world uh, teach our health program. And one of the things I learned that if you want to give something away, like rational thinking, you have to live the message. So you have to manage your own thoughts and then very gently challenge the negative thoughts of other people. So the question that I ask repeatedly is it true? Do you absolutely know if that's true? And don't do it in a harsh way, but in a gentle way. I do that with the kids in my house now. Um, I do it if my wife, you know, seems to be having a particularly hard day. I, I don't do it in a condescending way. I do it in a way that just helps them question the negative thoughts that are going through their mind. And then I actually have a children's book called Captain Snout and the Superpower Questions. And Captain Snout teaches children actually not to believe every stupid thing they think. And I talk about the different types of ants. There's the all or nothing ants where things are all good or all bad. And those of us that lived through the polio epidemic or the smallpox epidemic or World War II, um, you know, and for me, Vietnam and the AIDS epidemic, I mean, I was drawing blood from people who had active AIDS infections, and it just completely freaked me out. Um, it's that, yes, this is a very unique time, but with the older people, like my dad, who remembers World War II like it was yesterday, it's, well, what are the things you did to help survive that very challenging time? So try to activate some of the skill that they had in times past to help mm. give us wisdom today. Daniel, build on that and speak to us as parents. You know my wife, Stephanie, and you are friends, and she says to say hello. And we have these three boys that you've met in our house. And they've been home for a month. And they're going to be home for who knows how many more months. We'll talk about that in a moment, the future. Advise all of us who are parents of young children, 
what should we be doing and not doing to make sure that we're, you know, shepherding our precious children through this unprecedented time? Yeah, you don't want them watching the news. So yeah. don't watch the news with small children. Okay. It's just a bad idea because it'll plant things in their head that will frighten them. Um, I, I had a patient uh, that I talked to last week and he was really struggling. He has an ADHD six-year-old son. And and I know he's going to be home with him for a month, two, maybe three. Um, and I'm like, well, wouldn't it just be a great goal for April for you to fix your relationship with him? I mean, it's really a historic time for parents and children. If you think about it, we're getting going into almost our third generation of two parent working families where everybody's working really hard and everybody's tired and they don't have time for each other. And now there's all this time to really solidify the bond that is healing for children, right? The more connected they are to their parents, the better it is for the children. I wrote a article once on how to make your child a Democrat, a Republican, or anything you want. Hmm. And it actually starts with bonding, that if you're bonded to your parents, you pick their values. Yeah. If you're not bonded to your parents, you pick the opposite values, just to irritate them. Um, and so what does a bond require? Two things, time actual physical time. And now parents have more time than ever. They're actually the ones doing homeschooling often. And two is a willingness to listen. Too often parents, they want to pour all their knowledge, their 40 or 50 years of knowledge down that child's throat. And that's really not how people learn. Um, that people learn more effectively when they talk through um, the problems they have and somebody smart is listening to them. So I teach my parents active listening. It's really important. So when a child says something, don't tell them they're wrong. Don't tell them how to think. Just repeat back what you hear and then listen for the feelings behind what they hear. It's so helpful, so powerful. If you time and a willingness to listen, um, quality of your relationship is gonna go way up. Daniel, you're not an infectious disease doctor, you're not an epidemiologist, but you and I talked last week, uh, prior to today's interview, we talked a little bit about, so what's gonna come? What's the future look like? And I think I even asked you, so one day are we just going to like, you know, go back to work and go back to our life. And I'm not sure it, 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 it's going to happen that way. Um, and you're also not a prognosticator, but from your wisdom and all the conversations you have, what's going to happen? Is it going to come back? Is the virus going to be here forever? Will there ever be a, a, a new normal? What's the new normal look like? Can you give us some sense for what the reemergence looks like in summer and fall and winter? So it's not the first virus or the first pathological agent that has assaulted 
humanity. Um, there's a lot known. It's likely to come back. Um, and we are likely to go back to work and figure out how to live with it. There are basically three strategies to deal with the virus. So already we know 50% of people who have it actually don't have symptoms, but their bodies are developing immunity to it. So it's what Sweden's trying to do is really have the country develop something called herd immunity so that we can sort of make peace with it and it'll only kill the most vulnerable people. Um, now, most countries have not adopted that because they worry their medical systems will just be overwhelmed as, for example, we're seeing in New York and New Jersey. Um, so herd immunity is one way we're gonna deal with it. Um, the second way is we're gonna come up with treatments that are effective and they're racing against time to find out if hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin is effective when my parents got it. They both went on that and they went out of the hospital. So I have a sense it helped, but they need those randomized controlled trials to tell us for sure. Um, there's plasma antibody trials. So the people who got it, who developed antibodies, they're giving those uh, antibodies to people who are actively um, infected and not doing well. So that's a potential treatment. And in the long run, they're gonna find a vaccine that works against it. And, you know, 14, 18 months from now, we'll be able to manage the virus with a vaccine. Um, and so I think if I had to guess, we're going back to work in June uh, here in the United States. It sort of depends on where you are, California, and Washington, we don't have subway systems. And the subway is one of the major ways this virus has been transmitted. And because of that, we may end up going back to work earlier. Um, we're not gonna be hugging at work or shaking hands, which I actually don't really like that much anyways. You know, as I do book signings, I go, wash my hands. And the first thing somebody wants to do is give me whatever germs are on there. You, you know, I mean, it's sort of, it's a bummer to be a doctor and to understand, you know, how all these things are transmitted. Um, but I think maybe we're going to come up with different ways of greeting each other that doesn't mean touching each other. Um, I'm optimistic uh, for some industries. I know for mine, mental health there is clearly going to be post-pandemic yeah. uh, traumatic stress disorder. Right. I have just, I've seen it in my own patients and people in my family and the people I talk to um, on social media and on the radio. Um, there is just going to be a huge need for mental health workers. Um, obviously, the grocery industry has really been just as busy as they can be. Health industry, people are going to be wanting to know how to strengthen their immunity. Your best defense is your immune system. Uh, so strengthening that. The right. supplement industry is going to um, be strong. The travel industry is not. People are going to rethink getting on a plane and going somewhere. But then that also means telemedicine 
is going to skyrocket virtual events are going to skyrocket. So, you know, look and see, you know, what industries are going to thrive and which ones are going to take a longer time to come back. Dr. Amon, before we pivot to your book, The End of Mental Illness, you and I have been friends for a decade. I really respect you as a friend and as a father, as a grandfather, um, and as a, really a mentor to me. Give us some quick advice on what we can do to strengthen our immunity. You've written you know, 40 plus books on how to care for your body, your health. You are an evangelist, perhaps the world's most prominent evangelist around the connection between what you eat and what you do and the health of your brain. What are some tips you can give everybody on how they can right now be strengthening their immunity, recognizing that they're staying at home? Well, there's some very specific things you can do about it. And 60% of your immune system is in your gut. So eating right is just absolutely essential. Uh, I heard Domino's hired like a gazillion new drivers. And I'm like, oh, well, that's great. Um, you know, they're going to eat bad food, which is going to lower their immunity, making it more likely they're going to be sick. And so probiotics can be helpful to strengthen your microbiome. We have 100 trillion bugs in our gut. And you want to make those guys your friend. And you do that by eating right, by taking probiotics. There are certain foods that really help prebiotics, which is basically eat anything with fiber uh, that helps to feed the probiotics or the gut bugs. Onions, mushrooms, garlic help to strengthen your immunity. Everyone listening should know their vitamin D level. So D is in Daniel, low levels of vitamin D. Um, people just get sick more. They get respiratory illnesses more. They actually have more depression, more cancer. Um, you know, your immune system is supposed to protect you from outside pathogens, but also inside troublemakers like cancer cells. So know your vitamin D. Um, I I've never seen anybody get into trouble if they took 5,000 international units of vitamin D a day. Now that's way more than the government recommends, but that's what I think to get people to a healthy or level. Um, vitamin C can also be helpful. There's some evidence that liposomal vitamin C is better absorbed. They're actually using it as a treatment, uh, both in China and Korea, uh, South Korea. So vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc is also helpful. So supplements can help. And probably the best thing you can do besides killing the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that we talked about is sleep, making sleep a priority. When you sleep seven, eight hours a night, you turn on 700 health promoting genes. When you're not sleeping because you're worrying or you have bad habits, staying up, watching the news, which is literally the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, um, it turns off those health-promoting genes. So sleep is important as well. Thank you, Daniel. Let's talk about suicide. It's a heavy topic. Uh, you and I were talking last week. You mentioned there is a precipitous increase in 
the number of calls coming into suicide hotlines. What can those who are at risk do to be aware of the indicators? And what can those around them that may perhaps aren't aware of people in trouble be more cognizant of? Talk about that as a, as a broad topic. So actually, I opened the book, The End of Mental Illness, with this horrifying statistic. Since 1999, suicide has gone up 33%, while cancer has declined 27%. Why? And I argue in the book, we're just working on the wrong paradigm. And since the pandemic happened, calls to suicide hotlines have gone up 300 percent. Um, I heard another horrifying statistic that for every percentage point that unemployment goes up, opiate addiction goes up three and a half percent. So this is going to be a historically vulnerable time. And when people talk about it, pay attention to it, because a lot of times people will um, leave hints. They'll write wills when you're like, why is he writing a will? They'll start giving away their possessions. Um, they, their talk, their speech will become hopeless. Um, you know, some people, I think you, me, the glass is generally half full and we tend to have a positive outlook even during a difficult time. But for them, the negativity is just pervasive. And now is a time people can get help. Virtually all the mental health workers I know have gone virtual. And I don't think we're really losing much by talking to someone over video conference as opposed to seeing them in person. So I know all eight of my clinics are working and the docs are working really hard. So reaching out to your local mental health care provider. And if you're worried about someone that you care about, reaching out to those providers for guidance can be a good thing. Daniel, speak to uh, childhood trauma, be it uh, emotional or psychological or physical. What is the role or the connection between people's emotional and mental physical health as a child and perhaps mental illness that manifests later in life? And how do you know if there's a connection and what to do about it if it's yourself? Well, you know, a horrifying statistic is on average, it's 11 years before a child, from the time a child has their first symptom of a mental health issue, it's 11 years before they have their first appointment to get help. So, so many people just are not good at reading the symptoms that children have, whether it's anxiety, panic, sadness, worry, nightmares, and so on. And childhood trauma, and I would argue, this is a traumatic time for many, many children. Their parents have lost their jobs, they're at home. Um, the incidence of substance abuse might go up. Um, growing up in an alcoholic or drug addicted home is clearly traumatic. Uh, physical abuse has gone up, sexual abuse uh, has probably gone up as well. And it has a lasting imprint on a child's brain. The 
the biggest social media post I ever did, I think it has like 30 million views, is that a child who grows up in a violent home has the same brain as a soldier in war. And so protecting developing brains is just so important at this time. And, and you protect your kids' brains by first protecting your own so you can act in consistently loving, predictable ways. Uh, I remember a dinner that you had with Stephanie, my wife and I, maybe five years ago, one of many we've had together, and you cured me and Stephanie of ever having our boys play sports that would put their brains in any kind of jeopardy, right? I mean, we weren't going to, but there's no question our three boys will never play football. They will never play rugby. They're not going to play soccer. We have them in tennis. We're very mindful of the connection between early brain trauma and later in life issues. Well, you reinforced all of our listeners and viewers about how to protect your brain, how important the physicality of making sure your brain's not injured, injured, and and signs that we might know to look for. Oh, I once I heard you say some of your patients have you know fallen off their bunk bed in their you know elementary years and that manifest in their 40s and 50s later in life. Talk about the importance of protecting your brain physically. Yeah, it actually reminds me of a story of twins. They're identical twins. One is massively successful and the other is just chronically troubled but they're identical twins so it's like how does that make sense when uh one of the twins was 10 years old they had bunk beds she slept on the top and she fell out and she hit her head her head hit one of the wooden slats on the way down cracked her skull and she was just never the same um you know, if we all agree your brain is involved in everything you do and everything you are, um, your brain is the organ of intelligence, character, personality, and every decision that you make. And when your brain works right, you work right. And when your brain is troubled, you have trouble in your life. So I don't think any neuroscientist would disagree with me on that yet. What most people don't know is the brain is incredibly soft about the consistency of soft butter, tofu, custard, somewhere between egg whites and jello. And your skull is really hard and it has sharp bony ridges. So if all of those things are true and they are, why would you ever let a child hit a soccer ball with their head unless you were stupid? Right. Why would you ever let them put their soft, squishy brain that's in a skull with sharp ridges, why would you ever put their head in a helmet and allow them to slam it up against right. other people unless you just didn't care that right. much? Well said. But, you know, when you think, see it from my standpoint, it's insane what we do to developing brains. And, you know, I've studied 300 NFL players. It's one of the most important things I've done when the NFL was sort of having trouble with the whole idea of traumatic brain injury. I'm like, well, let's study it. And, you know, I have 300 brains. Most of them show high levels of damage. Um, 
but high school brains show that too, or college brains show that too. Do you really want to damage a developing brain? How, how does that truly make sense? And then the argument, of course, is, well, it's a team sport and people learn camaraderie and teamwork and how, how to get along. And I'm like, well, there's probably a thousand other ways to do that. Daniel, let's end on the topic of um, uh, mental health and how someone knows when they need a mental health therapist, they need to see someone. What advice would you give someone on some of the signs that you might have been denying in your own life or in a partner or a family member? And then what's the best way to find the right therapist for you? And, and then once you do, how to trust them in terms of nutraceuticals versus diet versus medications versus you know, all the things that come in that, in that, that, that frightening world. So I tell people to seek help if how they feel, how they act, or how they think is impairing their ability to get what they want in life. And so I think everything starts with what do you want? What do you want in your relationships? What do you want in your work? What do you want for your money, for your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? What do you want? And then you ask yourself, is my behavior getting me what I want? But if how you're thinking or feeling or acting is impairing your ability to get what you want, it's time to figure out why. And in the end of mental illness, I actually talk about these really aren't mental illnesses, they're brain health issues that steal your mind. And so in the book, I argue, you have to get your brain right, and then your mind will follow. So it's a complete disruption of the mental health industry, because you can go talk about your dad that was an alcoholic forever. But if you really don't repair, when you fell out of the bunk bed, well, that's not going to work so well. And so it's about getting your brain right so your mind can be better. And I've had about 3,000 people take our brain health coaching course. So we have eight clinics around the United States, soon to be nine. And there are a lot of people who I've been able to train in this method. So um, then go to amenclinics.com to learn about our work or find some of our colleagues. Uh, Daniel, if, you, if a parent is listening or a spouse or whoever, and they've got someone in their life that is uh, struggling severely, which is what, what the Amen Clinics actually, the service you provide, talk about what the first step would be for someone and when should they determine if uh, visiting one of your physicians at the clinics is right for them? What, what, what's the first step other than just, you know, going to the website? What's the process like of engaging with you? You know, for a lot of people who have mental health issues, going to their local therapist really helps them and it works. When it hasn't worked and you've tried, um, that's, I think, a great time to go to amenclinics.com, call and talk to one of the people at our care center, um, and we would just love to be helpful. We've now done over 160,000 brain scans. 
on patients from 121 countries. And a lot of the people we see are really complicated. And at the end of six months, if we treat them 84% or better, which makes us you know, really happy with our outcomes for complex people. So the website's super simple. It's Amen Clinic. So Amen, like the last word in a prayer. Um, imagine growing up with that last name. <laughs> yes, it's my real last name. Amenclinics.com. Daniel, I've known you for a decade. I, many of your books are up here on the set because I'm a huge fan of you personally and professionally. If someone's just kind of discovering you, which of your 40-plus books would you say, you know what, kind of start here. This is a great book. I mean, obviously, your current book has done extremely well. I've had, many of yours are New York Times bestsellers. Is there kind of like a start here book if someone really wanted to understand your methodology, your passion, your approach? I think the end of mental illness is a great place to start. It's the latest thinking. Um, It's got a thousand references. Don't let that scare you. But the idea behind, if you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it, if it's headed to the dark place, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. I tell you which of those, how do you know which risk factors you have, even if you can't get a scan? And then what are the specific steps to do? I think people tell me, um, change your brain, change your life is often where they start. Or I did a TED talk that has 12 million views. um, And I'm always on Facebook doing Facebook Live, especially during the pandemic, to just help people walk through how to have a better brain and subsequently a better mind. Daniel, people can follow you on social media. I love your recent Facebook Lives. You are one of PBS's largest fundraisers. fundraisers. Your philanthropy is well-known, prolific author, soon to be nine Amen Clinics around the nation, 42-plus books. Uh, Dr. Phil, you've been on, on, on Oz numerous times. These are dear friends of yours. What's next for you? What can people expect next from the Amen um, Enterprise? Well, I'm working on a really fun book called Your Brain is Always Listening about the hidden dragons from the past that are still breathing fire on your (laughs) emotional brain. And earlier when I mentioned the death dragon, it's one of the dragons that is always sort of stalking us, haunting us. Uh, And for me, it's keep myself healthy because we're really trying to change how psychiatric medicine is practiced worldwide. And it's going to take maybe another decade or two to do that. And I want to see it. So working on my own physical and mental health is uh, super important. Daniel, super generous. We went over on time. Thank you in the midst of all the other demands and much larger requests for media outlets around the world to, to talk with um, them. Thank you for taking time with our clients. And Franklin Covey is a big fan of the Damon or the Daniel Amen plan and all of your colleagues in your clinics. Thank you for your time. We'll have you back again when the dragon, when the dragon book comes out. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Scott. Such a joy to see you again. I love all my friends at Franklin Covey. The same here. Say hi to your wife and your family and grandkids as well. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for joining us. Hope you found this valuable. I certainly did as well. And we'll see you back here, hopefully safe and sound. Stay home, stay safe. And we'll see you back next week for a new interview with Franklin Covey's On Leadership series.